Welcome to our weekly podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, we're in week three of a message series called Iron Sharpens Iron. Our key verse for this series is Proverbs 27, verse 17, which says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Over the past several weeks, we've been learning about what God's word has to say about the topic of friendship. We've learned that true friendship is always marked by certain characteristics, things like loyalty, speaking the truth in love, consistency, honesty, empathy, and trust. These are all characteristics that Jesus modeled perfectly, but they're characteristics that we fall short of frequently. While there have been many encouraging truths throughout this series, I can't help but think that there are some in our church family who are convinced that experiencing true friendship is just not in the cards. Between the barriers that we tend to put up that keep us from experiencing true friendships, things like our own busyness, our use of technology, and our own fears and anxieties, or the fact that growing true friendships takes intentionality, hard work, and time, you may have convinced yourself that you just don't have what it takes to grow your friendships God's way. The more I learn about God's design for friendship, the more I'm reminded about how I haven't been that great of a friend to others 100% of the time. There have been times when I've failed to be a true friend, when I've distanced myself from other people, and when I've made a mess of relationships. I wonder if this is true in your life as well. But what if I told you that you could have a friend who knows you better than anyone, better than you even know yourself, What if you could have a friend who, by his very relationship with you, would transform you to become a better friend to others? I believe that you can, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate friend of sinners, people like you and me. If the idea of friendship with Jesus makes you uncomfortable, please know that you're not alone. For many people, referring to Jesus as a friend sounds superficial or even disrespectful. If you're quick to dismiss the notion of friendship with Jesus because you think it somehow sounds superficial or disrespectful, please understand that's not how scripture talks about friendship with him. When Jesus calls us his friends, he's referring to true friendship, the kind that we've been talking about throughout this series. A lot of people struggle with the idea of knowing Jesus as a friend because on one hand, we're called to honor him, to fear him, Submit to him, serve him, and worship him. Jesus is holy. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's able to calm storms with a word. He holds the universe together by the power of his word. And he's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Regardless of what's going on in our world today, and there's a lot of crazy things happening, the Bible tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he alone is Lord. So on one hand, Jesus is uniquely special and worthy of all praise. Yet on the other hand, he's the exalted king who offers himself to us in friendship. In his book, Made for Friendship, Drew Hunter wrote, when we see Jesus as the Holy One, radiant in splendor, we behold his glory. But when this same exalted king offers himself to us in friendship, We don't see less glory. We see more. I think what he's trying to say is this. When we know Jesus as a true friend, 
It helps us to see him more clearly as he truly is. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, the apostle Paul wrote these words, that he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. So the one true God who created the heavens and the earth came to the very people whom he created in the person of Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He modeled true friendship with his own disciples. He was wrongly accused, beaten, crucified, and buried. And after three days, he was raised from the dead, defeating sin, Satan, and death. Christ's work on the cross didn't just provide an opportunity for us to be forgiven in this life. It also provides an opportunity for us to be welcomed into his kingdom as friends. This seems too good to be true, especially when you consider how holy, how perfect, and how awesome he is, and how sinful we are. Yet Jesus spent his time seeking out even the worst of sinners in hopes that they would come to know him as a true friend. Last week, I shared a story from Luke chapter 7, where the Pharisees and the religious leaders referred to Jesus as a friend of sinners. When they said this, They meant for it to be an insult, but little did they know this actually demonstrated Jesus' greatness. You see, according to the Pharisees and religious leaders, befriending sinners was an expression of evil. But according to Jesus, it was an expression of love. I've talked with a handful of Christians over the years who know and understand these truths, yet they still question how a person can know Jesus as a true friend if we're also called to obey him and follow him as Lord. Instead of viewing these two roles, uh, the kingship of Christ and the friendship of Christ as incompatible, we're supposed to see them as inseparable. We worship Jesus as Messiah, Savior, and Lord because that's who he is. But we can also know him as our greatest friend. He's not just a king or a friend. He's both. Drew Hunter wrote that when we see Jesus as both of these at the same time, not awkwardly alternating between them at different moments, but trusting Jesus as both exalted king and intimate friend, it kindles worship in our hearts. No one is born a friend of God or a child of God. That's not how we're born. Before we believe in Jesus, repent of our sins, publicly confess our belief and are baptized into Christ, the Bible says that we are enemies of God. If we're not pursuing a relationship with Jesus or a friendship with him, the Bible says we're pursuing a friendship with the world. James, the brother of Jesus, put it this way in James chapter 4, verse 4. He wrote, You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Of God. Now, this section of scripture, if you read it in context, is all about drawing closer to God. Apparently, the Jewish Christians that James wrote to were struggling in a major way with issues of pride, jealousy, and they couldn't seem to get along with one another. They had a heart problem because they were more concerned about worldly things than they were living for Christ. The prescription that James gave them was to humble themselves before God, to seek him above everything else. Naturally, we all lean away from friendship with God, not towards it. But even in our rebellion, even in our sin, God sent his one and only son, not to condemn, 
but to befriend anyone who would have him, anyone who would believe in him. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Today, I want to wrap up our series by talking about how Jesus can be your greatest friend. Let's take a closer look at three scriptural truths that highlight what I'm talking about. Number one, if you're taking notes, Jesus's friendship has no reservation. So Jesus invites you into friendship, and this invitation has no reservations whatsoever. It knows no bounds. Regardless of your past or present, you're invited to believe and to know Jesus as a true friend. The Old Testament prophet, Jeremiah, wrote these words in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I've drawn you to myself. And the Bible teaches us that God loves us with an everlasting kind of love. He loves you with all his heart, and he always will. That Jesus is our friend means that he doesn't just love us, but that he's glad to love us. He wants to love us. When we believe in Jesus and know him as a true friend, it's not a long-distance relationship. It's a real friendship that contains all of the characteristics and qualities that any true friendship has. True friends enjoy each other. They love each other. They spend time together. They long to see each other, and their friendship grows over time. You know, there are days when I can't wait to crack open my Bible and spend time with God. There are days when I'm hurting and all I can do is pray and wait patiently on him to act. And there are days when I just want Jesus to return so there will be no more pain and no more death. But as much as I look forward to connecting with Jesus through God's word, through prayer and waiting on him to return, the reality is he looks forward to spending time with me so much more. One of the most pressing questions of our lives, one that often goes unspoken, is this. What does God think of me? In all of my struggles, in all of my weakness, in all of my sin, how does God feel about me? Well, if you trust in Jesus, you can answer that question like this. He loves you as a dear friend, and that's never going to change. Even when you sin and struggle in your faith, he still loves you. You know, like any good parent, he's rightly disappointed when we sin, but he's also full of compassion. He's full of mercy and grace. A true friend draws near in times of need, even when the suffering is self-inflicted. And this is how God addressed his people in the Old Testament, a people who were constantly rebelling against him, against his laws and against his leading in their lives. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 4 says, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia 
and Seba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. This passage is a promise of salvation. A salvation that was accomplished through the cradle, cross, and crown of Jesus. God is addressing his people in the first person. He's saying, I have created you. I have ransomed you. I am the Lord, your Savior. I've called you by name. I will be with you. I love you. Even when you mess up, if you know Jesus, you are his. Jesus' friendship has no reservation. It knows no bounds. Number two, Jesus' friendship is constant and covenantal. So if you trust in Jesus with your life, he counts you as a friend and he always will. And there are many reasons that we know this to be true. First, Jesus' friendship is constant, which means it's never ending, and covenantal, which means that we are chosen and he's promised these things to us because he literally loved us to death. On the night before he died, Jesus took his disciples into an upper room to share a meal with them. And here's how the Apostle John introduced the events of that evening. John chapter 13, verse 1. This is what we read. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. That phrase, the very end, refers to the cross, where Jesus bore the full weight of our sins. You see, when he willingly went to the cross, he was thinking of you and he was thinking of me. He thought of us as his dear friends. John 15 verse 13 says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is exactly what he did. In the ultimate act of love and friendship, Jesus gave his life so that we could be redeemed, so that we could have life. Second, Jesus' friendship is constant and covenantal because he's already proven these things in the past. You know, you may have been abandoned by family members. You may have been abandoned by coworkers or, or even friends, but Jesus will never abandon you. The Apostle Paul knew what it was like to be abandoned by those who were closest to him. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, he wrote, The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. In one of the most difficult moments of his life, when Paul needed his friends the most, they all abandoned him. That's what he says. But this is what he wrote in verse 17. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. When Paul wrote about these events, he was using friendship language He took the opportunity to highlight an important truth that Jesus stays put when everyone else leaves. Jesus remains constant when we are inconsistent. He does this for all who trust him. Charles Spurgeon once wrote that Christ is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You know, we often leave him, but he never leaves us. When we go through trials and troubles, he's always there to walk with us. Jesus's friendship is constant and covenantal because he's already proven these things in the past. Third, Jesus' friendship is constant and covenantal because he loved us before he even created us. John chapter 15, verses 14 through 16 says, You are my friends if you do what I command. 
I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I've told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Friendship, by definition, requires choice. Jesus chose his friends, and he did so from eternity past. While it's not easy to understand, the doctrine of election is unavoidable as we read Scripture. I'm not going to unpack this today because these are pretty deep waters, but an important truth that we can be reminded about as it relates to knowing Jesus as our greatest friend is this. God loved you even before he created you. If you know Jesus as your greatest friend, you can know that he will always love you because he always has. In his introduction to the book of Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet wrote about this very truth. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. A significant part of the Christian life is believing the truth that God loves you freely from his heart and that he always has from eternity past. Jesus' friendship is constant and covenantal because he loved us before he even created us. Well, point number three, if you're taking notes, Jesus' friendship is transparent, empathetic, and honest. Let's break this down into three parts. First, Jesus' friendship is transparent. This means that he opens his heart and he shares his plans with us. He referred to his disciples as friends with this explanation in John 15, verse 15. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. Commenting on this verse, Drew Hunter wrote, Friends speak with unguarded openness, and that's what Jesus gives us. You know, throughout the Gospels, Jesus shared with his disciples uh, what it meant to follow him. He shared the struggles and the challenges that they would face along the way, the importance of loving one another, and how that witness, that love, would be an example to the rest of the world. And he explained what he himself would have to suffer for their sake and for ours. Throughout his life and ministry, Jesus was a transparent friend to others. And as our resurrected Lord, he's a transparent friend to us today. God has faithfully given us his word, which reveals his heart and his plans. It's his written revelation to us. It is, among other things, a letter of friendship. Well, Jesus' friendship is also empathetic. It's easy to think of God as distant and impersonal. But think back to Jesus' earthly ministry. Specifically, when he stood at the tomb of one of his dear friends, Lazarus. And we talked about this a little bit last week. Instead of healing his friend right away, he wept with those who wept. Jesus not only felt empathy for his friends during his earthly ministry, he continues to feel empathy for his friends at this very moment. Stories like what we read in John 11 don't just show us who Jesus was during his time on earth. They also show us who he is forever. If you're a follower of Jesus, he doesn't just know what you feel, he knows how you feel. If this season of life has been one of sadness and loneliness for you, please know that Jesus knows how you feel. If you've experienced a lot of temptation in your Christian walk, please know that Jesus knows how you feel. If the storms of life seem overwhelming, Jesus knows how you feel. Not only does he know how you feel, but Hebrews 7.25 tells us 
that he lives forever to intercede on your behalf. Jesus is willing and able to help us in our deepest needs. He's an empathetic friend. Well, finally, Jesus' friendship is honest. He's a friend who speaks with straightforward honesty. He speaks to us from his heart and for our good. And this includes speech that doesn't always sound friendly at first. Remember Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. I shared this last week. It says, An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. So this is true of our earthly friendships, but it's also true of our friendship with Jesus. As our greatest friend, Jesus tells us what we need to hear, even if it isn't always what we want to hear. He speaks the truth in love, often sharing hard but necessary words. This truth of Jesus being an honest friend is actually how our relationship with him begins. Drew Hunter wrote that the gospel is a message that stings before it makes us sing. The gospel wounds us in order to heal us. Jesus tells us that we're far more sinful than we'd ever thought. And yet at the same time, he loves us so much that he died to make us his friends. When the apostle Peter preached the gospel for the very first time, those who heard his words were cut to the heart. In order for someone to be born again, to experience new life in Christ, they have to have open heart surgery. And this open heart surgery is God convicting us of our sin and showing us how there's a better way to live. It's often painful because it requires denying self, taking up our cross and following Jesus daily. After these individuals were cut to the heart, They asked what they should do next, and Peter responded in Acts 2, verse 38, by saying, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. To know Jesus as your greatest friend, you must believe that he is who he says he is. You must repent of your sins, confess your belief publicly, and be baptized into Christ. My question for you today is this. Have you given your life to Christ in this way? Jesus' friendship has no reservations. You can come exactly as you are. His friendship is constant and covenantal. He literally loved you to death. He's proven his love and friendship over and over in the past. And he will always love you because he always has. Finally, Jesus' friendship is transparent, empathetic, and honest. He speaks with unguarded openness He knows exactly how you feel, and he knows what you need to hear, even if it isn't always what you want to hear. Jesus is the one friend who knows you better than anyone, better than you even know yourself. And by his very relationship with you, he's able to transform you to become a better friend to others. Jesus is our greatest friend. He's a friend of sinners.